podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Angela Lenhart, the author of A Charmed Journey, an inspired guide to personal transformation. Internationally best-selling author Dr. Wayne Dyer said, A Charmed Journey is a marvel of a book, chock full of advice to live a spiritually aligned life. When the path appears grim and you feel overwhelmed with challenges, there is beauty in finding the strength to remain positive. There is a sort of grace or elegance when one chooses to surrender, while observing the synchronicity of events taking place that support your highest good. The lessons I have learned have been powerful and life-changing. I have seen spirit work through me, my animals, my relationships, and my clients in truly phenomenal ways. Miracles happen before our very eyes. If we remain focused and trust in the process, allowing the universe to work through us, we discover that our purpose is to be of service, as well as to live a glorious life. Excerpts from A Charmed Journey Angela is a highly sought-after intuitive consultant, performance coach, and motivational speaker based in Denver, Colorado. Her clients consist of celebrities, entrepreneurs, CEOs, or anyone interested in making a change in life or seeking solutions utilizing Angela's intuitive mentorship. In her inspirational talks, personal sessions, workshops, and best-selling books, Angela offers high-performance techniques and intuitive guidance for helping her clients in achieving their highest potential, goals, and success. Angela's website is AngelaLenhart.com. Here is the interview with Angela Lenhart. In your own words, who is Angela Lenhart? Hi, Valeria. That is such an interesting question because I've been pondering that same question for forty-seven years. Who is Angela Lenhart? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm a spiritual being having. or a human being having a spiritual experience one after another. So first and foremost, I'm here as a servant to the greater good. I am here to be love and extend love to others. That is who I am. I'm here to master parts of myself mind, body, and spirit. And at the end of the day, I know that who I am is just to be an extension of of God. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, A Charmed Journey, An Inspired Guide to Personal Transformation, 
I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. So the first one for you had to be this one. <laughs> what is life? Not what life is about, but what is life itself? Life is what we make of it. It is a process of our own mind, what, what we, where our thoughts are. So how we direct our mind, how we control our mind is ultimately what we create. And in that space of creation, how can we surrender into that space and be okay with what is and then thrive from that space of acceptance and surrender? I love that answer too. I hear a lot of wisdom. I mean, speaking of the mind and thoughts, let me ask you this question. What and where is the mind? And also, what are thoughts? Well, they're in my exploration of spirituality and discovering who I am. The mind is, there's one mind. There's one universal consciousness. And the consciousness is the one mind. And there are many names that we can put or try to label the one mind as in God or source or the divine or just consciousness. But it's the, ultimately, it's the force that governs the entire universe. That is the mind. And our journey is to connect to that one mind through being mindful and being extremely conscious of our own self and then taking that deeper into our heart center because the one mind lives within our hearts because it's what fuels us. It's the breath and connecting with our own breath and then aligning our energy with the one mind, we become one with the universal force. Yeah, that resonates. Would you say that this universal mind, that there's just one, it's also connected or described as unconditional love? Absolutely, because it's love that holds, that, that holds everything together. It's, love, is at, love is all there is. And everything stems from love. As in our own healing journey, it's ultimately our love for ourselves is what takes us um, to that great state of inner freedom and peace. Mm, so because we, we want to move beyond the, the constructs of the mind, the, the pains of the heart, and, and move through that space within ourselves to connect with that great love that exists within. The follow-up question really for that question, what life is, is this one. What do you think is the opposite of life? It would be death. If we're not living in this, in, uh, if we're not here in this third dimensional living and on this planet at this time on earth, then we're no longer in this form. I've never known any other form but this one. So I don't really, I don't, I can't say for certain what happens after this life or this body that I'm in. But from my experience, 
the energy, the spirit never dies. It just changes form. And that is so important to remember as we're continuously continuously going through a transformation. All of us are. The world, especially, is at this moment. We're going through um, an extreme transformation, which is taking everybody to a deeper level and understanding who they are. Yes, it can be felt, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a difference between transformation and change? Well, transformation is a process. It's like a butterfly, right? Mm -hmm. They go through (laughs) four different stages before they ultimately are able to fly. And the stage right before they're able to fly is the state of being in the cocoon and stillness where the everything that the metamorphosis stage, the stage where everything is coming together so that when they're able to fly, that they can spread their wings. And so you can't rush rush the process of transformation, but we can change our minds very easily. We change our minds all day long, but we end up going back to what we know is familiar. So did we really change? No, we just turned the light switch on and off. But nothing truly sticks until we go through the process of transformation. And that's going beyond what we know is to be true because of our experiences and are willing to go to that next stage, like the butterfly from stage one to stage two, ultimately to stage four. Yeah. And I'm wondering why some of us reject or don't go through the process of transformation and resist that process. Well, transformation is scary. Right. Because it will require you to stand in front of the fire. It's an alchemic process. And where you literally have to burn through the layers because the God is, is bright. God is love. God is in and, and the, the power, the force is extremely, it, it's, it's blinding. So we have to stand in front of the fire that burns through the layers to get to who we really are at the core essence of our being. And that is a, it's a frightening process. It's a scary process because of our life's experiences that keep us away from truly knowing our own divinity. Yeah, you talk about fear. So there's a lot of fear in the minds of those who choose not to transform. Yes. Um, and there's also, I think, the the resistance of willing to go beyond what is familiar. Because unfamiliar, uh, being unfamiliar, uh, unfamiliarity is extremely, you don't know where to go because you, you don't know where to step. But if you step forward, it's always about the forward process, but it's okay to stay in the idle position as well. Often we, you know, we want to run forward and we want to think that we're all, that we're always moving forward, but we're also always moving forward when we're, when we're standing still. And being in that stillness is also moving forward because that's where we gain a lot, a lot of wisdom is in those still moments. Do you suggest meditation, prayer? What kind of method um, is more effective in a way? You know, I don't know if it's never one size fits all. It's what is 
what brings you the most joy and and what allows you to settle down long enough to feel. And for some people, um, it might be meditation because that is connected to their upbringing, right? So that's that's a familiar technique for them to calm down, to settle their mind and to connect. Whereas different teachings may just enforce prayer. But as they say, you know, prayer is talking to God and intuition is God talking to you. (laughs) So, you know, I, to be completely honest, I meditate. Um, I'm in prayer pretty much all day long. Not a, not a day, not a moment goes by without me connecting or especially if I'm, if I have a question, anything, I check in with myself first and make sure that that's what I want to eat. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to live. That's who I want in my personal space. Connecting with my inner wisdom through uh, inquiry, through meditation, through prayer, is it is not an option. It's a necessity. Talk to me for a moment about intuition. How do we know the difference between listening to our intuition, inner wisdom, and just regular thoughts? Regular thoughts. Uh, it's, that's such a tricky question. I often hear intuition described as as a feeling. And yes, um, it's that, I guess, the first level of getting in touch with your intuition. It's that initial gut feeling. Not all of our feelings are true because our feelings are also, again, based off of our life's experiences and what we know is, you know, what we've experienced in the past. So that when those, when something is triggered within our present world, our immediate world, um, there will be a feeling that automatically comes through the body that will say, you know, do this or don't do that. So Intuition, the, the first in the, within the first millisecond, that's, that's typically intuition. Beyond that is the mind creating the story. And that's where the differentiation comes in, is knowing where the intuition is and where the mind wants to take over. And it's usually in the first second of the thought that appears in your mind. So that requires a lot of meditation, quietude, right, Angela? <laughs> Lots of that. Right. A lot of reflection <laughs> and understanding uh, where you're coming from. Because as I said, our, you know, if you can't control your energy and control your mind, they're going to they're gonna wander. Your mind wanders. It loves to wander. It loves to create. It loves to go back into the past and reminisce. It loves, wants to go into the future. The mind doesn't know what the future is going to hold. And then that sets the, that opens the door for fear to come in and begin to ruminate. Uh, whereas the past, you know, we think about the past and, uh, well, I always say if you've never made, it, made a mistake in life, you apparently aren't trying hard enough. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we go back into our past and we think of all the things that we could have or would have or should have done differently. And then we often you know, and we might get angry or we might get resentful or you feel guilty, whatever emotional roller coaster that brings up. And we can fall into that space. So it's really being in the in in the here and the now and operating from the breath, from that next step of that next glimpse of wisdom that is given to you. You know, intuition is 
such a a wide definition. You can't I can't even I can't even begin to describe this kind of like how do you describe God? Well mm, you yeah. yeah, I don't know if there is a definition other than what what we think is to be true. But when I've for the last you know, I th- I think back to my life, my intuition just kicked up when I was started at 14 years old. And from that point, my intuition, my wisdom, that force inside of me just didn't stop. It, it continued to grow. And I had to train myself to become so in tune with that voice that it was a painful journey. <laughs> the charm yeah. journey wasn't about rainbows and puppy dogs and ice cream. <laughs> it's about trying to find the charming, the charming experiences in the middle of chaos. That was the that was the charming part of the experience. Right. So I wonder if at some point the mind begins to obey the commands of the heart, or what we call intuition, God. And then it's so integrated that we can trust whatever we say, whatever we do, all the choice we make. Is that possible? That's a great question. I think we can train our minds and our mind does become our servant. But the mind has a mind of its own. (laughs) And we have an ego um, and some people have been able to demolish their ego. I've, I haven't perfected that yet. So I'm still learning to control my own mind. But I know where my mind stops and God's mind, God's mind is always God's mind. But I have to be able to stop the stories of my mind and connect with the one mind. And that is the walk of faith. Because we, I've been able to look back into all of my life experiences and seeing what I've created, both good, bad, and indifferent, right? It's just life's experiences, but see the blessing in it all. And when my mind begins to run uncontrollably, I bring it, I, I literally bring it back and I, it's like I, I sit it down in a chair and I look at it and I say, knock it off. <laughs> don't don't you think for one minute you're going to take me off this track so i mm-hmm. it's like you look at it as a as, as a three-year-old and you're like not today you don't and then you get back into what you know is to be true so like the truth with a big t versus the truth with a small t right it is that work of recognizing the mind's voice and God's voice. Absolutely. Two different, different voices. And the mind, your mind, our, our human mind wants the power. Right. It right. wants the power, but it tends to create more chaos and disruption, and disruption in our life than it does peace and tranquility. And that is not that the mind is a bad entity or tool. It's just that it's there to serve, I guess, the body, right, Angela? The body, well, the body follows the mind. So what the mind thinks, what the mind creates is what the body will do. So that's why our bodies have got to become a servant to the mind. So we, when, you know, it's what the mind, where the mind goes, the body begins to create, the subconscious mind then begins to create the energy field around the thought. And that energy field becomes a magnet for what we believe is true for ourselves. 
So if we're in the resonance of, or the vibration of, the world's a bad place. There are horrible people out there. I can't trust anyone. You will attract that story because it's yours. But if you tell yourself, I believe there is good in the world, and you literally say out loud, I want to see the good in the world, the world will will respond to that. It will respond to that vibration. So you you stand there in that space of stillness with an open heart, and you begin to see the mirror of beauty around you. So wherever your mind is, that is what you will notice. So true. It's like the whole, you know, if you buy a red car, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden now every car is red. True. (laughs) Yeah, so true. You know, if you're going to look for um, despair and and sadness in the world, you're going to see every reason why there is hopelessness rather than where there is hope. So the mind is easily programmed from what I see. Absolutely. (laughs) Everything. Everything. Can program it or reprogram in a good way, right? Is imagination similar? How is imagination different from thinking and intuition itself? I think our imagination comes from that childlike essence within ourselves. We imagine, you know, when we were young, our imagination just runs wild. And it, it, you could be a, you know, if you ask a five-year-old what they're going to be when they grow up, they're either going to be a rock star or they're going to, you know, be an astronaut or they're going to be, a, you know, a biologist. They have these these huge dreams for themselves because they don't have any limitations. So that's the imagination that is, it, it's free, it's it's colorful, it's bright. And that imagination begins to become suppressed as we get older, I think. And we learn, and for whatever reason, we quote unquote, learn that life life is challenging, life is hard. There's lessons to be learned. Well, that also comes with growing up and becoming a wiser, you know, um, becoming an adult and then acting like one, you know, but you can be an adult and still have a childlike imagination and, and a spirit about you. And that I can tell you that my imagination has served me well because <laughs> I've put my imagination to use and I've learned to trust and I, then I've learned to trust my gut or I've learned to trust my intuition. But more importantly, I trust God. I, I trust the walk and I trust the, the fierceness in it. And then I can allow myself to move towards the goals within my imagination, but be very conscious with every step and know when I need to course correct. I mean, I think the most important part of of following that vision or, or really connecting with your own imagination and living from that space of creativity is also know when you need to course correct or when you're a little bit off on your own on your own soul's self-mastery and and look at it from an observer perspective. So it sounds like imagination's not connected to the um, rational mind or the subconscious mind. I think the imagination is is the is the one mind. It's the one mind is the imagination. 
I truly believe this. We are all given some unique gift blessing that we are here to nurture so that it blossoms within this particular life. But often that will require us to heal, to heal our hearts, to heal our own minds, to heal our own thoughts of imperfection. Because that imagination will, your imagination is is the gift, is the gift. And to see it as a gift and and just to keep reminding yourself, you're here to be a blessing, to reveal your gifts to the world. And what is that going to take? And then the mind comes up, you know, then there's also a process associated with that. And with the process is also a strategy. Well, it's a journey in itself, as you have in your book. <laughs> you have that word there. It's a journey. As long as we're here and we're breathing, <sighs> it's it's a journey. And it's an inward journey. And whatever, I've, again, I found in my, in my experience with, um, in my own life and in, in my, I've been working with clients for 16 years, that inward journey is what is reflected in the outside world is the accumulation of what is on the inside. I agree. A hundred percent. Yeah. And we can see that clearly, right? If we pay attention. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's, it's always about awareness and paying attention and, and what are you focusing on? Right. What do you love most about being a woman? What do I love most about being well? I love shopping. I love buying great clothes. I love uh, makeup and all of those those things. So I like being a girl. I like to be in a girly girl. Uh, you know, I've never really thought about that. I've never thought about uh, being anything other than who I am. As and this is you know just me being in my form as is a woman. So I love I love being a woman and. I like being able to, uh, feeling that it's okay to cry. I like, I've always been a crier and being able to feel my emotions. So if we're going to stereotype women, we can say that, you know, it's okay for them to cry or be emotional or vulnerable. And I've always been okay with, with being that, that too. Besides, you know, men sometimes are, are grungy and dirty. I've never really felt like the need to go out and crawl in the dirt. Now I do have a horse, so I'm okay with, you know, out there in the manure pile and, and, uh, being in that dirt. But as far as, um, trucks and (laughs) crawling (laughs) underneath my car, that just isn't for me. I was, I wasn't built that way in this lifetime, maybe some other time. (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) Yeah. I love how genuine you are. (laughs) What is the most challenging aspect about being a woman? <laughs> I don't think there, I, I don't feel like there, I have one. Uh, but I've always felt, you know, my mom always told me your mouth's going to get you in trouble someday. And it has every single time. Um, I was born with a big mouth and it just is, I've had to learn how to tame my mouth and tame my tongue and not speak every thought that runs through my mind. So that's, and I'm still learning how to master that one. I was just born to, to express myself and, and to be okay with expressing myself. And there was a time in my journey right before I began to write 
a charm journey, it wasn't okay to express myself. Um, I was in a relationship that was very suppressing and heavy and under, I felt like I was always under some sort of control and that isn't who I am. And I knew that. And one day as I was going past the mirror to get into the tub, I looked into the mirror and I didn't recognize myself. And I said, where has my voice gone? And that voice then came alive. And it wasn't a masculine voice. It wasn't a feminine voice. It was the voice of my soul, which is neither masculine or feminine. It just is your voice. And it says you're going to, you are going to start living according to what you've come here to do. And so in that moment, the path became extremely narrow. I love that. What you said, that voice has no gender, right? No, it has no gender. It's it's what's in our hearts that is that resonates. It is it's within. Is it, at the end of the day, it's it's what is in your heart, and if you live from that truth, of what is in your heart? I don't care who you are, but love will lead you and guide you and comfort you until you're no longer in this form. Beautifully said, yeah. Thank you for saying that. True, so true. What is freedom to you, Angela? What is to be free? Freedom is to be comfortable in your own skin. I think the more comfortable you get into in your own skin, adversity arises, criticism shows up, judgments of other people's opinions, judgments and other people's opinions show up and they're a little more clear than they've ever been before. And that's where you really got to learn how to anchor yourself in being comfortable in your own skin and understanding what that means. So when you're comfortable within who you are, you're free to be who you are. Mm, yes. And that is freedom. <laughs> so whether you know, you're know you an intuitive life coach or a farmer or a CEO of, of a comp- you know, some company or organization, if you want to do that because that is what brings you joy, that is freedom. It, that is so true. So true. Beautiful message, yeah, for who is listening. So true. What do you think is the world's greatest need? The greatest need right now is healing. Healing on planet, you know, for the world, for the planets, for the for Mother Nature, for our animal kingdom, for the trees, and most of all for our human souls to heal ourselves. So the world is in great need of healing. And what we're going through now is another level of healing. And often the, the, the process of healing, as we've talked about earlier, requires a great state of transformation. And that, that transformation requires that we burn through the layers that are no longer serving us. True. How did you become a writer? I didn't. <laughs> and I'm still not, I, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. I, I sit down and, and I grab a, a pen and a piece of paper when I feel like it. Um, I don't, I never sit down and say, I'm going to write today. I, I'm usually driving in my car and I'm, I'm guided by spirit to go uh, I mean, I'm going to be completely honest. To drive, usually it's to drive to a restaurant and have a dirty martini or a glass of wine. And that is when 
uh, I can be the most creative sometimes is when I sit down and I put myself in a, a neutral environment and the message comes out. So I don't say that I am a writer. I write whatever moves through me and wants to be conveyed. <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> I love if I if I sat down and said I'm going to write a book, it would have <laughs> it would have never happened. And and how Charm Journey began is definitely not a traditional way of how I think any author intends to write a book. You know, I was I did it, the Charm Journey pretty much transformed itself while I was sitting underneath a tree in a park. That's how the Charm Journey was written. There wasn't anything charming about it. <laughs> Yeah. That's <laughs> there was cute. a lot of suffering involved and a lot of rain. <laughs> Did you set an intention when you're writing a charmed journey? No, just to no finish intentions. it. Just wow. just to just to to finish it. And I had an agreement with God before the charm journey ever um began. My life took a it was totally upheavaled in every way and lost everything. And I was in the position where I needed to start my life over. And it was either start my life over or not. And I knew that my soul was was dying. And that wasn't going to be, that wasn't okay. That was not okay. I wasn't here to do that. I was here to do, to share a different message. And so when I was in the, I would say, one of the scariest times in my life where I didn't know what direction to go, I was praying and I said, God, I will do whatever it takes to change my life. That is what I said verbatim. And I was given specific instructions. And the first piece of instruction was, you're going to take total responsibility for your life and how you created it. And the second piece of information was, you're going to be grateful for every single thing. Because if we remove the state, if we hold space for anything other than gratitude or love or a higher vibrational frequency. We're allowing that the lower vibrations to come in and the emotions of fear, anger, resentment, guilt, shame are heavy and toxic. Therefore, don't allow us to expand and remind us of all the things that we aren't instead of what we are. And then the third thing was to write a book and to share my life's experiences and not to, and not to leave one out, even though I was <laughs> tempted to. And so that's, that's what I was committed to. I wasn't committed to writing a book per se, but more like just sharing my experiences so that they're off my chest because I wanted to be free from saying I was going to do something and not do it. So I was going to finish it and then just see what happens. So I was committed to the process more than the book itself. Yeah, I love the way you trusted guidance from God, as you call it. Yeah. Well, there was a time when I didn't trust and I found myself in hot water a lot. So I, I, I learned how to discern between um, voices in my head <laughs> yeah. and just became a good student of that. What is energy medicine, Angela? Energy medicine is using, transforming the energy around the ailments that are within the body. So a mass that has developed within the body is a, a ball of energy that hasn't been worked through, that hasn't been loved on enough, that's created a hardness. So when we love some, when we put so much love and so much light and 
energy into a space, it dissolves the matter. And that is how we heal. That is how we heal our hearts. That is how we heal others. We love them. You could stand in front of someone and you don't even, they don't even know, have to know what you're doing. And you can set the intention that you open your heart so wide that so much love begins to emanate from your heart and moves the energy around them and they feel transformed and they don't know why. So that's the power of love is to to carry such so much um, velocity and frequency and love to a specific place that nothing can stand in the way of the love. Yeah, and we know how powerful love is. So true. Right? You know, it's being in the yeah. eye of the storm, letting the storm move around you, but standing in the eye of the storm and holding that space, which is extremely difficult. But that space, that energy then begins to emanate from your body and move the energy around you. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like magic to me. <laughs> also, talk to me for a moment about healing relationships. What is healing relationships? How do we know when we are in one? I think we're always in one. We're always in one with ourselves, ultimately. We're always healing the relationship with ourselves and understanding ourselves and loving ourselves. And in relationships, I don't, I don't care if it's a, a business relationship or it's an intimate relationship. They're always bringing back something within ourselves that we need to take a closer look at. Yeah. And the ones that you get triggered the most by is definitely hitting some sore spot that needs to be loved on, that needs to trend, that needs to transcend. And we do that through attention and focus and healing. And again, love. So um, healing relationships, we don't heal a relationship. What we do is we heal ourselves. And when we heal ourselves, not only can we accept who we are and to come from a place of non-judgment, but when we can do that with truly authentically do that with ourselves, we can stand in the face of another and love them which then pulls their greatest strengths out of them. You know, what we, when, we, when we come to the table and we expect to see the best from the person sitting across from, from us, generally we will get that. But when we come to the table and we have a lot of burdens and, and unprocessed emotions within ourselves, we will draw that out from the person across from, from us as well. So who we are is what we attract. And if you can come from that space and recognize everyone as your teacher, then you're moving closer to that inner state of freedom. To be able to recognize that, yeah, be aware of those lessons. You called them spiritual lessons. And you said something in your book, very interesting. I have tested spirit numerous times and more than once I doubted that a higher consciousness ever existed. I'm wondering why most of us tend to doubt these spiritual experiences. Well, because yeah. the mind, we have a mind <laughs> and the mind wants control and we can't control spirit. We can't control the force. We, it's like we can't control gravity. 
you know, you can pray and you can meditate all day long and you can, and I can probably guarantee you, unless you have a space suit on, you're going to be walking on the ground, right? Because gravity is going to work whether you believe in it or not, mm, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a force that's operating and it doesn't matter if, if, if you believe in it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen just like a tsunami, right? It's going to happen regardless. And we can have a prayer chain. But if that prayer chain, you know, um, if there's a, a weakness in that link, that prayer chain cannot stop the force. So if the lesson is to be learned in this human form, we're going to learn it. And that uh, is why we become really good servants of our own, you know, or we make our mind become our own servant and begin to become highly in tune with what that wisdom says and then live our life accordingly to that, to our hearts, to the, the message that resonates within our hearts. So by not tuning into that, the spiritual realm, which is uncontrollable, I mean, it isn't controllable, it, it is what it is, knowing that we can allow it to come and go as we please, depending on our life's mission. So it's interesting. It doesn't require beliefs then. Whether we believe in it or not, it's still operating. It's still operating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? It's still, it's still going to operate. Now, we do have free choice and free will, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where our minds come into play and our imagination can grow. So this is where we, we begin to understand how our the constructs of the mind and, and who we are as powerful creators, knowing we are not the ultimate creator, we are, but we are the co-creator of our lives. So you co-create by learning how to master your mind and being in alignment with the one mind. We're almost at the end, but I have a few more questions here for you. You mentioned the uh, connection, the spiritual connection between humans and animals. Talk to me for a moment about that. It's my favorite subject in the whole wide world. I, I as you read in my book, I'm, I'm an animal. I love animals. I'm an animal communicator. And I feel like that they're always talking to me. I mean, I could talk to all of them. Uh, oh, my gosh. Animals, in my eyes and, and what I've witnessed um, from having animals at such a young age is that all they want to do is to be loved. And they will show you love, but they will also reflect back to you what you are thinking. You know, one of my stories is I grew up on a farm and we used to have two huge like Hereford bulls. And my dad would always say, don't, do not go in the bull corral. They're they're going to hurt you. And he didn't know that when he was gone that I would go out and sit with the bulls. Like I would sit in the middle of the, like the, the corral with them. And one day I had a friend come over and I said, well, do She's like, well, what should we do? And I said, well, let's go ride one of the bulls. And she goes, well, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And so I convinced her to, you know, I should probably put her flip flops on. I'm really not sure. I probably had mine on and some shorts. For sure, I didn't have the appropriate shoes on. And I remember I just walk out there and she goes, you really want me to sit on a bull? And I said, well, yeah. And first you're going to stand on the fence and then you're just going to jump. And oh, I'm going to no. I'm going to stand in front of the bull and I'm just going to tell him that it's okay. And she goes, okay, that's a great idea. And she she did what I told her. She jumped on the bull. We walked around the corral and, and it was, you know, everything went extremely well. And the, and the bull 
followed me. And I think that was probably one of the moments where I realized, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, you know, they're so trusting, they're so loving if they know that they can trust you and if they know that they can trust you, you know, you and they know that you're safe. You know, animals just want to feel safe. And and depending on what, you know, horses are, you know, they're they're herd animals. So they they need each other to stay safe. So they're always looking for their rider to make them feel safe. But if you can't trust yourself as a rider um, or as someone who can lead, the horse is going to know that. And will take the lead because it will do what it needs to do to survive. Because that's what we all do. All of us, even animals, will do what they need to do to survive. They're given instincts for a reason. And humans were given instincts and we're also given a mind. And we will, you know, at the at, when some of our life's experiences has have taken us to the place of survival, right? Some of us are in survival mode now. And that's where we're seeing a lot of the, you know, the chaos as as we speak, because the survival mechanism is extreme. It, it will come out, and it's extremely powerful. And unless we can talk ourselves rationally through that survival stage, which is very difficult, we will fall back into tendencies that, and a lot of tendencies that are um, undesirable undesirable behaviors and patterns and addictions that um, will that begin to take over. And again, we kind of fall back into that uh, another level of, of maybe self-loathing or depression or, or whatever is active within our own souls. I do have one more question about, I'm just thinking about the animals. I love animals too. I think most people do. I became a vegetarian for a while, I think for five years because of that, because I didn't want to mm-hmm. eat them. I, I understand. I eat salmon these days and I don't feel bad about it maybe because I don't pet uh, salmons or I don't see them that often. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about that, that eating animals? That's a, so I'm just going to, I eat meat and I eat fish. It works for me. It works for my body type. And... I think how um, animals are processed and treated is very important to what we ingest. So that the energy, the blood flow that runs through their body is, is, is what is the energy that we eat. Do I think that animals are put on this earth to eat? I do. But how they are treated and in the, the inhumane treatment of it is not okay. So, you know, there was, I have a story, uh, I had a couple, I had a friend who had, uh, who, who had buffaloes and she had a buffalo farm and she was a Native American. People would um, come out to her farm and they could choose their buffalo that they wanted to eat. And a couple came out and the, and the, the woman was having a really hard time with it. And so what she, what the Native American told her what my friend told her is you know these buffaloes I've, I've prayed over them and I've talked to them and they understand that this is what they're here to do is to help nourish and feed you and the the woman said well how do I know that and she says watch this and she looked at the buffalo she whistled the buffalo walked over to her and literally laid down and and um 
then they move forward. But that was where the buffalo surrendered his life for the life of a for a human. So animals do give that unconditional unconditional love that that I don't even know if humans are capable of giving. Yeah, that is unconditional, right? Mm-hmm. How beautiful! Mm-hmm. And they and they don't they don't they don't have the. You know, they don't hold on to things. I mean, they they do. They, I mean, if animal has been abused, by all means, they're going to remember um, if a man abused a, a dog or a woman. You know, women are just as big of aggressors as men are, mm-hmm. um, especially in the horse field. You know, mm-hmm. people generally think that that men are the the bullies. Well, I know a lot mm-hmm. of women women that are too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, those bully, that bulliness comes from from deep hurts. And and taking their aggressions and angers out on something that they can control because they haven't learned how to control themselves. So I have a very strong, strong past uh, message and and feelings towards this because it is, is it seems to be proven. It's proven itself over and over and over again. But look at um, horse therapy and and dog therapy. How people, um, especially with uh, kids with autism. Um, kids that are, are people that are uh, been in wheelchairs and paraplegics that haven't been able to move, and all of a sudden they see an animal and, and are able to just be around that energy, and things in, within those human bodies come alive. So animals, you know, when I said that this energy within our hearts heals the person next to us, well, the energy within a, an animal's heart can heal our lives as human beings, if we allow yeah. it. Uh, I love So okay. we're, it's a symbiotic relationship. And, you know, but some, I think some body types uh, don't need um, the, the meat as much. Um, so they can, they can be vegetarian or, or vegan. I grew up eating meat and potatoes. And I know when I don't eat meat, I become, uh, I'm, I become very anemic. So, and I lose a lot of energy, so I can't function very well. So that, that's when I know that I, I need to eat certain foods. So I think, again, it it's, goes back to the individual belief system and a cultural thing. Maybe it's a religious thing. And as I say, is to, to each his own. But um, when we treat anything or anyone without an extreme amount of compassion and kindness and, and being in the present, that is where it gets confusing. It makes sense, Angela. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, right? I agree. It's not like rules, yeah, having all these rules and having to live in a certain way, right? No. Uh, we're almost at the end. I have two more questions for you. I call them final questions. Before that, would you like to add anything? I would like to add thank you for this opportunity to share my message and allow me to be myself mm-hmm. and yeah. to uh, <laughs> ex- ex- and to do what I've been guided and, and felt inspired to share with the world. So I just appreciate this opportunity. Thank you, Angela. Thank you for your presence. If you knew you would die soon, meaning lose it, the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? <laughs> no, oh, I, love <laughs> I <that> wouldn't. <laughs> I, I absolutely wouldn't. Um, 
you know, I would probably go out and have an extra scoop of ice cream knowing I didn't have to fit in my jeans the next day. But (laughs) (laughs) that's That's probably the extent of it. (laughs) The last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? That life is always changing. That's what I know for sure. That I know there is an intense force that guides us in life. And whatever you want to call it, whether you want to call it God or source or divine or consciousness or Mary or Bob, that if you tune into it and you choose to truly live by that higher consciousness, you will be okay. I know that. And the, and the third thing is, what I know for sure is that you've You are here on this earth to be who you are, to be your divine self and to let that show and to let and to share your life, your message in your life, your light, your inner light with others. That's it. That's what I know. Yeah, the powerful messages, not just knowledge, but wisdom. Thank you so much for your wisdom, your beautiful presence. I love how genuine you are. And uh, yeah, it was a beautiful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, my website is AngelaLenhart.com. So it's uh, L-E-N-H-A-R-D-T. And I'm on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and pretty much everything that I do, my services, my uh, coaching packages are available on my website. And if, again, if anyone has any questions to please um, reach out, you can call me, uh, send me an email, and I try to get back to everyone within 24 hours. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Angela, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Angela Lenhart and her work, please visit AngelaLenhart.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.